from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. It is found on page 816 and 817 of your pew Bibles. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is, was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you have known what this means, I desire mercy and not, uh, mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath." So he went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him on how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, and it's good to see each one of you uh, here this morning. Thank you for being here, especially if you're a guest and this is your very first time coming. Um, I know uh, walking into a church isn't an easy thing to do, whether you've gone to church your whole life or you're coming back to church or maybe you've never been a part of church. Um, thanks for coming and being with us this morning. My name is Bill Gorman, and I serve as the campus pastor here at the Brookside Campus, and um, it's a real privilege to, to serve and to care for um, this congregation. So as we begin uh, to look at this passage, we're in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we've been spending time studying it. Um, I want to ask uh, for God's help that He would do the work of illumining uh, the Scriptures to us this morning as we hear them proclaimed. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, um, we're grateful that you speak to us, and we pray now that we would receive uh, what you have for us in your word uh, with open hearts and minds, um, that you would break down any sort of uh, preconceived or um, just sort of unhelpful notions that we might carry with us. We all carry those things in, and so I just I ask that you would help us to hear afresh and new what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, summer is coming. I'm excited about the uh, idea of doing some wiffle ball and uh, snow cones here very soon. Summer is coming. Vacation is here. And uh, whether you're a student or a teacher or a parent, you probably uh, know the number of days. If you're just out there working, you're probably thinking... Well, I guess I'm just going to keep working. Um, but summer is coming. The warmer days, uh, the, the longer days, it's bright early in the morning, it's bright later into the evening. Um, they just make me long for vacation. It feels like vacation season, doesn't it? The time when we just need to get out there and take some time off and get some rest. And I just want you to think about when's the last time that you really felt rested? Just take a minute and think about that. When's the last time you really felt rested. Some of you still haven't gotten there yet. Um, maybe because you're a parent of a small child, I don't know. Um, but think about that time you were last felt rested. And then think about now, because I think we're all tired, aren't we? 
I mean, not only is it Sunday morning, not only is it, uh, you know, the nine o'clock service, but I think we feel tired just in life. Uh, laundry, diapers, groceries, finals, homework, practice, demanding boss. You're just driven to do and do and do. And the struggle to make, end meet, end, make ends meet in life, to figure out how the budget's going to work out this month. And sort of that every wish that we have that the day was a little bit longer, but yet it insists on remaining 24 hours every day. Do you know that in the 1850s, the average American slept nine and a half hours every night? Uh, in 1950, that was eight hours, and now it's less than seven and so how much more can we really scrape off in terms of rest and sleep? And because of technology, uh, not only can we work anywhere, but we can work everywhere. And when's the last time you've actually truly taken a day off? Because with a smartphone in your pocket or your purse, your work email is just a moment away. And, and this kind of pace, this kind of rhythm, it's killing us. Not, not just our bodies, but our souls. And one author writes this. He says, spiritual growth does not happen by running faster. What keeps many of us from growing is not sin, but speed. We are going as fast as we can, living life at dizzying speed, and God is nowhere to be found. We're not rejecting God, we just don't have time for Him. We've lost Him in the blurred landscape as we rush to church. We don't struggle with the Bible, but with the clock. It's not that we're too decadent, we're too busy. We don't feel guilty because of sin, but because we have no time for our spouse, our children, or our God. It's not sinning too much that's killing our souls, it's our schedule that's annihilating us. Most of us don't come home at night staggering drunk. Instead, we come home staggering, tired, worn out, exhausted, and drained because we live too fast. Do you hear that? I mean, for most of us, it's, it's not just our sins that are killing us, but our schedules. It's not just temptations, but our lack of time. We're, we're too hurried to follow Jesus. And for many, the reason the life we long to live feels out of reach is because we're too weary to get up and get it. And, and I think we know that. I don't think it, it takes many statistics or, or powerful quotes to get us there, realizing that this is a, a problem for us. We know how restless we are, um, but it says, as it says in, in Oprah's magazine, um, it's one of my favorites. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding, that's a joke. Um, but, but listen, what, what, one, there's this little article in there that said this, the things you do when you're tired, like reaching for the fourth cup of coffee, the remote, the cupcakes, are almost never the things that get you untired. I thought it was a really profound insight. The things that we do when we're tired are rarely the things that get us untired. And that's what we see this morning. You don't just need a vacation or a day off or a nap or a break from the kids. You don't just need a summer break or a promotion or an assistant or a night out or a night in uh, or, or a new show to watch. And sure, all of those things are great and, and maybe you do need those. But if that's all you're after, you're still going to be exhausted. Because what Matthew shows us this morning is that you don't just need a rest you need the Lord of rest. You don't just need a rest, a vacation. You need the Lord of rest. And only then will we find what we're looking for. And so 
I mentioned that earlier we're in the series called Respond to the King in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been studying Matthew for a long time now, and we're seeing explicit responses of harsh opposition to Jesus. And it's been building and building in Matthew's Gospel through kind of 6, 7, 8, now into chapters 10 and, and 11, but now it's becoming really clear and vivid. And it comes in the context of what might seem like kind of an odd thing for us today. Some of the harshest opposition we've seen yet with Jesus is around what you can and can't do on your day off. And this brings people to the point of wanting to kill Jesus, and we'll see why that is here in just a moment. But it brings us to the much bigger topic of rest. And what is rest? How do you really get it? Because again, we don't just need rest, we need the Lord of rest. Last week, if you were here, you remember we talked about this invitation that Jesus gives us to take on his yoke, this training instrument, this, this picture from how oxen train together. He says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. And one of the promises that he gives in that is that you'll find rest, rest for your souls. And so it's not an accident then that Matthew, as he's writing his gospel, right after the end of that invitation that Jesus gives us to come to him and find rest, is a sequence of events that Matthew records on Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders where they accuse Jesus of violating the laws about Sabbath, laws about rest. What does it mean to really rest? Matthew tells us two stories here that show us Jesus' authority to give us the rest that we long for. As we look at these two stories, we're going to see three things as we kind of walk through these stories. The first is that rest is a person, not an activity. Rest is a person, not an activity. Second, we're going to see that rest is delight and good, not a duty to guidelines. That true rest is a delight and good, not a duty to guidelines. And then finally, that rest is a gift, so enjoy it. That rest is a gift that we've been given, so enjoy it. And the first story that Matthew records for us is Jesus walking alongside a grain field with his disciples. And it's on the Sabbath, on the seventh day of the week, this day of rest for the Jewish people. And this is the key point in the setting of the story. They're walking along these grain fields. It's the Sabbath. And it's clear that the uh, disciples are getting hungry because they start grabbing some of the heads of grain and they start to eat them. Now, the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, was instituted by God himself way back in the beginning of the Bible. This is like page one, page two in your Bible, Genesis chapter two, when God rested from his work of creating the world. Now, clearly, God wasn't tired when he stopped on the seventh day, but rather he took a break, a rest to enjoy and delight in all that he had made. And he sets a pattern for his creatures, you and me, who do need rest, who do get tired, to follow. And, and in fact, this idea of a Sabbath pattern of rest becomes so important that in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, it actually becomes part of the Ten Commandments. And over time, a bunch of rules had developed around the Sabbath in order to keep people from breaking it. So people had added a bunch more rules that weren't in the Bible about how you could keep from breaking the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath, this day of rest, with a bunch of laws about what you could and couldn't do, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking along and they're hungry. 
they hadn't brought cliff bars along in the hike, I guess. And so they start pulling these heads of grain off of the stalks and they, they, and they eat them. Now, this was a common cultural practice. In fact, farmers intentionally didn't harvest grain at the edges of the field so that travelers and people who were poor could glean food, something to eat from their fields. The only thing was is that you weren't allowed to do that on the Sabbath. And here's the thinking, because harvesting was an act of work. Now, clearly, harvesting the whole field, that's a lot of work. Picking one or two heads of grain for a little snack, not quite the same, but they put it in the same category of harvesting. You couldn't harvest on the Sabbath, according to all these extra regulations. And so, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they see what's happening, and they respond with shocked incredulity, which is another way of saying they ran up to Jesus' disciples and they said, oh, no, you didn't just pick grain on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was meant to be a gift to God's people, to His creation, a, a day off woven into the very fabric of the created order. But these religious leaders over time, which had started with good intentions but had, had been mutilated into something else, had made it an oppressive burden where you were always plagued by sort of guilt and worry, wondering if you had rested enough or if you had rested in the right way or if you had done something that unintentionally broke the law. And Jesus calls them on it and says, come on. This is not what God intended when he gave the law about the Sabbath. It was meant to be a gift of rest, not a burden. And he gives then two examples from the Old Testament to show his point. The first one is a story in the Old Testament about David. David was Israel's greatest king. And at one point, David is fleeing for his life, and he and his men are starving, and they go in and they eat this bread that was meant only for the priests. But they weren't condemned because the law is for our good to set us free, not a prison to close us in. The other example is the priests. In the Old Testament, the priests on the Sabbath was the day that Israel worshiped together and offered sacrifices, and the priests had to work on that day. That was part of their, their work, and they weren't condemned for working on the Sabbath because it was part of, of the routine, the pattern that God put in place. So just as, as Sunday's not a day off for me, uh, in case you're just curious about that, it's the same idea. It was okay for them to work on the Sabbath, the priests. So Jesus gives these two examples. And here's the real key. Jesus shows them and us what Sabbath really means, what rest actually is. This is what he says in verse 6. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus says a couple things that are really profound there. First, he says something greater than the temple is here, meaning himself, and that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he's the one who gets to decide what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. Again, this is Jesus saying, I'm God, I made the Sabbath, I'm greater than the temple. Don't miss what Jesus is claiming here. And this is so important as we understand real rest. In fact, if you miss this, you will never rest. In fact, you will die weary, and weariness will haunt you to the grave. You see, Jesus says here that rest is first and foremost a person, not an activity or even inactivity for that matter, which is think what we often think about rest, just sitting down and sort of doing nothing. You see, our problem isn't that we're just tired. What the answer for us isn't just a good night's sleep, though you may need a good night's sleep. 
Rather, we're not just tired, we're weary. We're weary from what uh, Jewish journalist Judith Shulevitz calls in her, in her fantastic article in Rest in the New York Times from a few years back. She calls this the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Isn't that great language? The eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Let that sink in for a moment. Have you heard it? I mean, do you hear it even now? This eternal murmur of self-reproach. That, that constant little nagging voice inside our head always mumbling, you'll, you'll never be good enough. You'll never have enough. You'll never be safe enough. And so you better just work, 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 work. This murmur constantly going. That we need to prove ourselves, to feel good about ourselves, to protect ourselves. And then the busy we are, somehow that means the more important we are. And we feel safer, we feel more powerful, more secure, more in control. The more activities our kids are involved in, somehow that must mean that we're better parents. And the murmur continues. You just have to work, 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 work. It was Augustine in the fourth century, this great Christian leader who wrote at the beginning of his confessions the most famous, one of the most famous phrases about God. And this is what Augustine writes. He says, our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Now again, Augustine is, is talking about more than just being tired, right? He, he doesn't say, no, we're, we're sleepy until we find our nap in Jesus. No, he says, we're, we're restless. We're weary until we find our rest in Jesus. You see, rest is a person. So then, as theologian A.G. Shedd explains, it's not about keeping a Sabbath law, but loving and believing in a Sabbath person. And this is really key. It's not about just keeping a Sabbath law, but, but loving and believing in a Sabbath person. This is how Shedd explains it. He says, God's perfect human that's who Jesus is, Jesus was. As God's perfect human, Jesus lived the Sabbath day for God, releasing his fellow human beings from bondage, bringing them into blessing, and at the last, entering himself into God's rest. Ultimately, as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus made it possible for others to follow him into that rest. And this means that the Christian's task is no longer to keep the Sabbath. Jesus has done that already but to believe in Him. Rest isn't a day, it's not inactivity, it's a person. You don't just need a rest, you need the Lord of rest, because only He can quiet that eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Only He can tell you you are safe, you are loved, you are good, for that is what He accomplishes on the cross. But there's another story, another uh, episode that comes right after this one. So after the field incident, Jesus goes to the synagogue, a, a place where God's people, the Jewish people, would gather on the Sabbath um, and throughout the week to learn about the law, the Torah, God's teaching. So it's still the Sabbath, and the Pharisees, they really want to get Jesus into trouble. And so they bring him a man who has a mangled hand, and they ask Jesus is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, 
healing was considered a form of work under all these laws. And so they're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trap him. And so just think about how they, much they must hate him. They, they know he can do miracles. They know they can heal. And so they're trying to get him into trouble by being nice to some guy. And so Jesus gives another example from the Old Testament. If you were a shepherd and your sheep falls into a pit, is it okay to rescue your sheep on the Sabbath? Well, well of course it is. It's, it's necessary. You have to do it. It's a good thing. And this is what Jesus says of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So if it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so the man stretched it out and he restored it and it was healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out conspiring against Jesus how they might destroy him. This is the first time that Matthew tells us that the Pharisees want to kill him. It strikes murder into their hearts. And this leads us to our next observation, and that that is rest is a delight in good, not a duty to guidelines. Rest is a delight in good. It's not just a duty to guidelines or rules, because for the Pharisees, they thought that rest came through perfect obedience to endless rules and their own accomplishments. And while some of us do the same, and, and some of us ha- are, are legalists at heart, and we just want to know the rules, and if we can keep the rules, then, then somehow we'll find rest. But for most of us, our guidelines and laws are more cultural religi- than religious, aren't they? They're more cultural rules, expectation, guidelines than religious. Rules like work is everything. Rules like money is everything. Or smart and talented kids are everything that you're only as good as your accomplishments. And again, listen, if you've been around Christ community for any length of time, you know how deeply we value work. We're, we're created to work. Work isn't a product of sin or a product of the fall. Before any sin entered into the world, we were made in the image of God as workers. Work is a good thing. And the work that you do at home, at school, in the office, it really matters to God. Your work matters. But how quickly, in light of the fall, in light of sin entering the world, does it become an idol? Does it become not just a good that we do to worship God, but actually becomes a God that we look to to provide for us what only God can provide? Where work becomes a duty, it becomes a taskmaster. We don't master the tasks that we have and, and exercise authority and rule over them, they actually, we become slaves to them. But do you know why the Sabbath is so important in the Old Testament? It's because God's people weren't slaves anymore. That's how it gets into the Ten Commandments after God's people have been liberated from Egypt. They were slaves. They had to work seven days a week in Egypt. They were oppressed, but God has set them free. And to remind them of their freedom, they were to take a day off to rest to rest as a delight and good. Pastor and author Mark Buchanan, uh, in his fantastic book called The Rest of God, he puts it this way. He says, get this straight, the rest of God is not a reward for finishing. Just let that piece sink in for a moment. The rest of God is not a reward for finishing. 
It's not a bonus for work well done. It's a sheer gift. It's a stop work order in the midst of work that's never complete. Sabbath is not a break. We're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks or chores. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. Rest is not a reward for finishing. It's a gift of God in the midst of it. And if you're waiting to finish all of your work before you take a rest, I've got news for you. You'll never finish. You'll never rest. And in the end, you're just going to die a really weary person. Because the work is never finished. There's always one more thing you could do. There's always one more thing. But that doesn't mean that laziness is the answer or just total inactivity. And this is what surprised me this week as I studied, and it really added a new dimension for me in understanding what true Sabbath rest is. So often when I think of rest, I do think of complete inactivity, that it's, it's my day off, I'm just going to sit and watch TV and baseball for eight hours, and that somehow I'm going to feel refreshed. But we know, right? You spend a, a whole day in front of the TV, you don't get up feeling really refreshed. Not that watching TV or sitting down and enjoying a movie is a bad thing. In fact, it can be part of a restful day. But instead, Jesus says it's actually lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's actually right to do good, to be actively working toward the good of others on the Sabbath. And there's some work that actually refreshes us, that refills you, that, that delights you. And finding a way to serve others, to love others, is the right kind of work for the Sabbath. Now, I want to be careful here because if all you hear is rest is a person, not an activity, that rest is delighting and doing good, uh, not a duty to guidelines, if that's all you hear, you might feel like you can walk away or more likely run away at a fast pace to continue life at your normal breakneck speeds. But that's not what Jesus wants for us because rest is a gift. Rest is a gift a gift that we were meant to receive and enjoy. The Sabbath, Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, is a gift to us, that that it was made for us, not the other way around. We weren't created so that we could follow Sabbath rules. That's not why God made you. No, we were made in God's image, made for Him, and He gave us the gift of Sabbath rest. So enjoy that gift. It's for you. Um, Pastor Kevin DeYoung in his great little book, Crazy Busy, says it this way. He says, rest is a get-to in a world of have-tos. Rest is a get-to in a world of have-tos. Rest is for you, not, uh, not somehow rules, not that you were made for them. But for so many of us, we don't really know where to begin with this, do we? How do we receive this gift? Uh, it's like someone giving you a bike before you know how to ride it, right? You're, you're really excited about it. It seems really awesome. You know it's going to change your life when you can ride the bike like all the other kids. But it also seems a little scary, a little undoable, and maybe like too much work to actually learn how to ride. Ironic, isn't it, that, that finding pathways to rest seem like too much work. So how do we begin to receive this gift and enjoy it? Let me just give you sort of three next steps here this morning. First, you have to trust the Lord of rest. That's the first step. Because you see, a day off is a symptom 
not a cause of rest. A a day off is a symptom that you've been able to find rest, not not a way to get to rest. Let me explain what I mean by that. Because you see, if if you think that by just turning off your email or not going to the office one day a week, that you're going to find this kind of true Sabbath rest, just by doing that alone, you're, you're wrong because you'll still be plagued by that eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. In fact, you may actually feel better, more rested when you get to the office and you can finally start working through that email again. You see, it's only when you find rest that you'll be able to truly take a day off, to rest when the email's turned off and not have your mind still churning on it out there. So if you think you'll find rest and find Jesus just by turning off your email, you're doing it wrong. But on the other hand, if you think you found Jesus and are really experiencing rest and you can't turn your email off, that's also a sign that you're doing it wrong. You have to trust the Lord of rest in order to truly find rest, to be able to truly take a day off. Second, we need to redefine our way to rest. And more than just TV or sleeping in on the weekend, as good as those things are, it's delighting in doing good, things that enrich, things that build you and others up. It's, it's not merely sitting around. It's doing work outside your normal routine that fills you. And I've overlooked this as I've thought about Sabbath. It, it actually even changed the way I approached my days off this week. Of I really want to do some, some yard work, some active work that's different than my normal work that really fills me up. Jesus makes it clear that doing good, caring for the vulnerable, loving others is a healthy picture of rest for his followers. And I hadn't really thought about that dimension before, but that really is the whole point of this particular teaching on Sabbath. Do good on the Sabbath. So do I take time to rest outside of my normal work, to love people, to serve them, to love my family, to to build into the lives of my friends, but also for those who may give me nothing in return? like those of you who serve here every Sunday, right, and so many of you do in children's ministry, you're greeting in all the different dimensions, it does add to the activity of your life, right? If you choose to serve here on Sunday morning, it adds to the activity of your life as you prepare for the work you're doing. But what I hear from so many of you who serve on a regular basis when you get into routine of that is that actually fills you up, that it isn't something that drains you, but it actually fills you. So if you're exhausted on Mondays, maybe you need to start serving on Sundays. And finally, we need to embrace better rhythms of rest. So do you have routines and finish lines built into the habits of your life that allow you to have space for rest? Do you have routines and finish lines that are built into the the rhythms of your life that allow space for rest. Routines like morning and and evening prayer, trusting God with your work. This has been one of the things that's just shaped me so much. Not only this routine of morning and evening prayer, just simply entrusting and thanking God for the work He's allowed me to do, but really reframing how I understand the orientation of a day. Because in the Bible, a day begins in the evening, not in the morning, right? If, If you go back to Genesis, and you read God's account in creation, it says evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day. In the Jewish understanding, in the biblical understanding, the day begins at sundown, not sunup. 
that has really profound implications for how we live life. Just to shift your thinking that my, my day is beginning as I go to bed, which means you actually start your whole day in sleep and rest, trusting God to be working on your behalf so that when your alarm clock goes off, you've begun your day by sleeping, resting. God's been at work on your behalf all this time, and now you enter into that day with Him. What a change that makes in how you think about your day. It begins with rest. Also, do you have finish lines in your life? How do you know when your day is over and you begin to rest? Is it when the kids are in bed for the night? Is it when you leave the office for the day? And and what rituals do you have to mark that moment and celebrate it each day? Maybe it's going to the gym or going for a run after work. Maybe it's sitting down to read a book or watch TV once the kids are in bed. Whatever it is, know where those finish lines are. And then when you've crossed them, stop working and just enjoy rest. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, wrote a short story called A Leaf by Niggle. And it tells the story of a little man named Niggle who is a painter. And the story begins, and and Niggle knows he has a long journey that he has to make, and he doesn't know when he has to leave, but he doesn't want to go on this journey. And before he goes, he wants to finish one great painting that's been in his mind for a long time, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger, and he's got all these canvases stretched out, and he's kind of in pencil sketched out this grand landscape that he wants to paint. But he has also a lot of work and lots of chores and responsibilities, and he has this neighbor who's constantly needs help and is demands attention, and his wife is ill, and as hard as he tries, Niggle can only get a few leaves painted on this massive canvas. And when he does go on this long journey, it's the metaphor in the story for when he dies, the metaphor for his death. He begins to weep because his painting is not finished. It's not even close to being done. And when he's gone, the canvas is actually used to repair homes that have been damaged by a storm. But when he enters into the new country, this new heavens and the new earth, he discovered it is the very country he had always been trying to paint. And when Niggle sees it, he laughs. He laughed in the mountains, the very mountains he longed to paint rang with his laughter. You see, at last he had found rest. He had found his joy. And we can only rest from our unfinished work because the suffering servant Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, the master of the rest, declared with his dying breath on the cross that it is finished. The work underneath the work is finished. So come, come and rest. Find your rest in him, and instead of the internal murmur of self-reproach, embrace the laughter of delight in the one who has said, it is finished. Let's pray. Father, may we find our rest in you, the person of rest, For all of us this morning, I pray that you would help to calm and to quiet that eternal inner murmur of self-reproach that haunts us. And would we be able to rest, truly rest, in the Lord of rest. Amen.